God bless you all and welcome again to our Bible study series that we are doing on the book of Acts. Uh, we are coming toward the end of part four in what will be a 12-part series on the entire book of Acts. And if you don't have the notes, I would strongly recommend that you download them or get them through a variety of means. You can go to our website at new-life-ministries.org and download uh, both the audio recordings and the uh, notes for each one of these studies, free of charge, of course. Uh, you can also subscribe to the New Life Ministries podcast, and that way you get everything automatically uh, onto your smartphone or other device. Uh, you can also uh, listen online at mixlr.com and follow the broadcast name New Life Ministries. And the recordings are also kept there online at MixLR. So there are a variety of ways to access these studies. But again, we are now in part four. If you are following the notes, we've come to page 60, and we're looking at Acts chapter 5. We want to pick it up tonight from verse 12 and read down through verse 16. Last time we saw in the opening verses of Acts chapter 5 the amazing and rather frightening story of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit, and we presume that what they were really engaged in was a kind of hypocrisy where they were pretending to be consecrated, selling their land and bringing the proceeds to the apostles, as a number of other people were doing, but they were actually keeping part of it back for themselves, which they had every right to do had they not been lying and misleading. And with very tragic consequences, they were both uh, knocked dead right in the middle of the church. And we ended last time in verse 11 with these words, Great fear seized the whole church. And I think that was one of the great purposes that God had in doing this in the early church. He wanted to establish reverence and fear for God. And just to sort of emphasize a couple of points we closed with last time, thankfully God doesn't smite you and me every time we've told a lie in our lives. I've told a few doozies in my day, and I'm still alive. But God wanted to establish in the early church that he wasn't playing games. God is a serious God. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And our God is the judge of all the earth. He is a consuming fire, and a lot of people have difficulty understanding how we can preach about a God of love and at the same time preach about a God of judgment. But we looked at a scripture last time where Paul ties these two attributes of God together. He says we need to study, understand, see, and behold both the goodness and the severity of God. In other words, the kindness, love, compassion, mercy. We all love to talk about those attributes of God. And, well, we should. Thank God for His love. Thank God for His mercies. Thank God His mercies are new every morning. But we cannot leave out the other part of the equation. God is holy, holy, holy. He lives in unapproachable light. There is no darkness whatsoever in God. And the scriptures are very clear. All liars, all liars, will be cast into a lake of burning fire and sulfur. And this 
rankles many people when they hear about a God who, yes, will indeed be sending people to hell and into outer darkness. It is not his desire. God is not willing that anyone perish. He wants all to be saved, but he also wants all to come to repentance. He wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so those who refuse to repent, those who refuse to embrace the truth of God, they bring those consequences upon themselves, as did Ananias and Sapphira. And so, as we close last time, you can well imagine how the people in the church were feeling. They've just seen two members of the church fall down dead right before the Apostle Peter, trying to lie, not just to Peter and the other apostles, but they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. And God wanted to make a very loud and clear statement here. You don't mess around with me. You don't play games with me. This is very serious business. And I would remind every one of our listeners tonight, don't play with God. Don't play church. God is very serious, and so is the devil. We saw that for the first time in the book of Acts, Satan was mentioned in this story about Ananias and Sapphira. Peter discerned that it was Satan that had filled Ananias and Sapphira with this plan to lie to the Holy Spirit and to try to pull a fast one on the apostles. Satan had tried to wiggle his way in to the revival that had begun to break out in Jerusalem. And thank God for the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment sees things that natural eyes don't see, natural ears don't hear. And how desperately in these last days the church needs mature men and women who are on the walls watching and praying and able to discern what's happening. Jesus warned many false prophets will come in these last days. They will look like sheep. They will sound like sheep. They will talk like sheep. But they will not be sheep. They will be wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. And the only way they can be recognized is through the discernment that the Holy Spirit gives supernaturally. So, that gift was operating in Peter. He was able to discern. He had no other way of knowing what Ananias and Sapphira were up to. He discerned through the Holy Spirit what they were doing. And the judgment that came upon them was swift, and it was very severe. Thus, Paul's words, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. You and I would do well to study the Bible from cover to cover. Look at all the examples of God's goodness, mercy, and there are many, but also look at all the examples of God's severity. Places where the severe judgment of God was in play, where the ground swallowed up Korah, and his associates in their rebellion against God, where fire and brimstone fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and many, many other examples of the severe judgment of God. And believe you me, there's more to come. In the last days, God will pour out his wrath and his judgment on this earth, and all those who refuse to repent and come to the cross to receive his goodness, his kindness, and his mercy. All right, now, we want to move along in Acts chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse 12 to 16. And again, we're on page 60, if you are trying to follow in the notes, section entitled, Apostolic Signs and Wonders. 
the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. So, we've just had a very serious house cleaning that took place in the church, with the removal of Ananias and Sapphira. And I have seen this over year, over the years. Uh, God will come from time to time and clean the house. The Bible says judgment must begin in the house of God. And every once in a while, God will do some real serious scrubbing and house cleaning, and it's always a predecessor to another great move of His Holy Spirit. Notice, right after what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, the Spirit of God begins to move in a very powerful and unusual way. Verse 12 again, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. All the sick who were brought out were being healed, some even being healed by the mere passing of Peter's shadow. And demons were being cast out of those who were tormented by evil spirits. And so, great miracles and signs and wonders are again happening in the Jerusalem church. And notice again the importance of the apostles and the apostolic ministry. It was through the apostle Peter that this plot of Ananias and Sapphira was uncovered. It's through the apostles that many miraculous signs and wonders are now going to be taking place. And this is one of several examples in the book of Acts where very special miracles were done by the apostles. And I want to zero in again on verse 15. It says, As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Now, there is no other reference in the scriptures to this happening. Be very clear on this. It, it is not even mentioned in the Gospels that such things happened in the ministry of Jesus. And this, this scripture uh, that I'm about to read never ceases to amaze me in John 14, 11 and 12, where Jesus told his apostles, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And then he goes on to say this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, he will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. I don't know if you've thought about that, but I've given that quite a bit of thought. And it tells me a number of things. God loves us so much, He wants to participate in everything that His Son did while He was here on earth, but He wants us to do even greater things than Jesus did. That is mind-blowing. And think about the humility of Jesus Christ, that He's willing to allow sinful men and women like you and me 
who have been redeemed by the blood of his own sacrifice, to now, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, be able to do even greater miracles than anything recorded in the four Gospels that he was able to accomplish. That's incredible. Just incredible. And we will come to another example of this later in the book of Acts, in chapter 19, where we read about miracles that took place through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You're familiar with this scripture, I'm sure, where he laid hands on cloths or handkerchiefs, and people would take those cloths and lay them on the sick, lay them on the demon-possessed, and they were healed and the demons came out of them just by touching the handkerchief. Nothing of that magnitude is seen in the four Gospels. And yet, here again, God gave special powers to these apostles to do things that eclipsed the miracles that Christ himself had done. Why? Jesus promised it was going to happen. Greater things than these you will do. And you know, many times we're settling for far less than what God wants us to have and do. And I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else tonight. Sometimes we read through the book of Acts or some of these other portions of Scripture and we wish, wow, if only I could lay hands on a sick person and they would get healed. That would be absolutely amazing. Well, I got news for you, friends. Jesus said, these signs will follow all who believe. They will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. They will cast out demons in my name. And so, we need to stir up our faith to come into agreement with the things that God has already assured us of in His Word. He wants us to see these kinds of things following our lives and our ministries as we believe in Him. So, God was doing very special miracles through Peter, through Paul, particularly, coming back to our text here, even the shadow of Peter was healing the sick. And please note, again, Acts 5 and verse 16, Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. All of them were healed. You find that phrase over and over in the Gospels, but it's comforting to see it even now. Jesus has gone back to the Father, and we're still seeing all of them were healed. And we need to press in and stir up our faith to believe God that all of them can be healed in our day too. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We read in Hebrews 13, 8. He hasn't lost any power. He hasn't changed his plan, his design, his desires haven't changed. He still wants to heal the sick. One of my favorite healing verses is found in Luke's Gospel, the same Luke who's writing the book of Acts. Jesus healed all, not who were worthy of healing or who deserved healing, he healed all who had need of healing. <laughs> the only requirement is, I need healing. And I'm coming to Jesus in my need. He sees our need and he responds with compassion, by the way, to that need. Healing all who have need of healing. I've given a number of references in the notes. We're not going to look them all up. But repeatedly, you see this in the Gospels. All were healed. All were delivered. Everyone who came to him was healed. So, right after 
the frightening judgment that came upon Ananias and Sapphira, we have a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. But before we leave this section and move on, I want to draw your attention to one other thing. Back to Acts 5 verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together. All the believers used to meet together. Here again, we see one of the hallmarks of the early church. They all met together regularly. They didn't forsake the assembling of their set of themselves together because they understood that's the very nature of the church. It's to gather together in fellowship, in prayer, in worship, in breaking bread together, in witnessing these amazing signs and wonders that God was doing. <clears throat> Note also verse 13. No one else dared join them. Well, it's not too hard to understand that in light of what just happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Again, the message got around Jerusalem very quickly. Don't play around with God. Don't play church. This is serious business. Two people just died trying to do it. So the fear of God is still very much prevalent in the midst of the people, and outsiders were afraid of them. They were afraid to get too close to these people, especially the apostles, and it says they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women were joining. They believed in the Lord, and they were added to their number. Now, <clears throat> we've been noticing a pattern, and here it comes again. God moves, miracles, signs, and wonders, many new believers added to the church, and bam, persecution. We've seen it over and over, and here it comes again. We're having revival, many more people now being added to the church, miraculous signs and wonders, great excitement in the church. And then we pick it up from verse 17. Acts 5, verse 17, we'll read down to verse 25. Then, <laughs> then the high priest and all his associates, notice the religious elite, they're taking note, again, of what's happening in Jerusalem. And they are not happy. The high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Ah. Now we don't even have to guess or wonder about the motivation for this persecution. It is jealousy, okay? They're filled with jealousy. Verse 18. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But, on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. 
Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. So, here comes another round of opposition, persecution, and arrest. As we just noted, the motivation is very clearly spelled out here. It's jealousy. The religious elite are realizing they're losing their grip on the people. Their popularity is fading. Their control over the masses is very rapidly slipping away because more and more and more people are joining the way. They're becoming believers in Jesus Christ and they're feeling threatened. They're losing their position, their esteem, their authority, and because of that jealousy, all they know to do is to try to silence, muzzle, arrest, threaten, stop the apostles from preaching Jesus Christ. So, here they are again in jail, right after miracles, signs, wonders, great expansion in the church, more and more people being added. Here comes opposition and persecution. Just want to remind us again, if we want revival, if we want to see the Holy Spirit move in power with signs and wonders and people delivered and demons cast out and sicknesses healed and people getting converted to the Lord, Yes, we want to see that, but get ready. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will also suffer persecution. The enemy will definitely try to fight back. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 2.11, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. He's going to try to come back in some way, shape, or form. And so we need to keep on the full armor of God. And like they did in the days of Nehemiah, we need a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. Because this is a war. We're in the middle of a battle, and we do have enemies that would try to oppose us. And so, we have to be prepared for those things. Now, we read in verse 19 that something different happens this time. During the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Now, sometimes, as we saw in Acts 4, the sovereign God would leave the apostles in prison until their captors released them. That's what happened with Peter and John in Acts 4. They only spent one night in jail. But no angel came to rescue them. They had to sit there in their cell and wait until the Jewish leaders brought them out of prison. When we come to Acts chapter 12, in the same chapter, we're going to see two very different outcomes. We'll see the Apostle James, when he's imprisoned, he's put to death. Peter on the other hand, is also put in prison, and he's set free by angels. So, God does whatever he wants to do in each given circumstance. Does it mean that God didn't have the power to send an angel and deliver the Apostle James? No, not at all. We'll discuss that in more depth when we get to Acts 12, but we can't put God in a box. God doesn't treat any two people the same way, and he does it because of his wisdom. The Bible says he's wonderful in counsel, excellent in working. His ways are beyond finding out. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't always figure out or second guess what God is doing. Make no mistake, he is sovereign. That means he has absolute power, 
absolute control. So, he can send an angel and rescue us. He can leave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace and then bring them out untouched by the flames. He can also leave an apostle like James in prison and be put to death. So, we see a a variety of outcomes in these different persecution scenarios. In this case, an angel of the Lord comes into the prison, opens the doors, and gives the apostles specific instructions. Once they're released from prison, they are commanded by the angel to go right back to the temple courts and preach again. I love it. He doesn't say, go run and hide and lay low for a while until this persecution passes by. No, go right back into the fire and preach again. More specifically, verse 20, they were commanded to go back to the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this life. Tell the people the full message of this life. I like these words. He doesn't say, go teach them the new set of Christian rules, the new set of Christian doctrines. We believe in doctrine. We understand God has given us rules and, and laws and commandments and all that. But notice the emphasis here. Go tell the people about this life. Tell them the full message of this new life. The Message Bible reads, Tell them everything there is to say about this life. You see, the Christian faith is not just a set of rules, laws, creeds, doctrines. It is a new life. It's an entirely new life. New life in Christ. Resurrection life in Christ. Abundant life in Christ. And we would do well, I think, to pay attention to these words. Maybe we need to emphasize a little more the life that we have found in Jesus and not just rattle off a bunch of rules and a bunch of do's and don'ts and just keep heaping condemnation on the hearers. I have found new life in Jesus. It's an exciting life. It's an abundant life. Let me tell you about the new life I've found. I have found freedom in Christ. I've been set free from sin, free from addictions. I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. I walk with God now. He talks to me. I have fellowship with God. I see His glory. I I understand more and more He has a great purpose for my life. Would you like to hear about this life? So, they were commanded to go right back into the fire and tell the people the full message of this life. Not just bits and pieces, the full message of this life. Talk about the cross. Talk about being crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, risen with Christ. Talk about repentance, faith water baptism, talk about the coming of the Lord, talk about deliverance and freedom and and everything else that's a part of this new life. Later on, this would be referred to as the way. That's what they called the early Christians, and I've given you a number of references in the book of Acts, Acts 9, 19, 22, 24, over and over, they referred to the Christian group or the Christian congregation simply as the way. Well, 
when Jesus was here, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But now that Jesus has gone back to the Father, his body, the church, is the way. And very often, as the church follows Christ and enters into his new life, we are the way for the culture around us. They see the way we act, the way we talk, the way we live. And maybe without a word, we are witnessing to them by our life. Go and tell them everything you can about this new life, this new way. Well, when the Jewish leaders sent for the apostles in the prison to bring them back for a trial, they couldn't be found. The prison was still locked, the guards were still there, but the prison was empty. The apostles were not in the prison. And so the high priest and all of his associates were perplexed. I studied that word a bit, perplexed. It actually means to be thoroughly nonplussed. It means to be completely at a loss. They're really having a difficult time now trying to figure out what's going on. We put these guys in prison, we locked the doors, we put guards in front of the prison doors, and now they're out again. We don't understand this. We can't figure out what's happening. And notice, all of the attempts on behalf of these religious leaders to stop the way, to stop this movement, have failed. They've threatened, they've imprisoned, they've done everything in the book. They can't stop this thing from growing and spreading. And they would soon be warned by one of their very own that they better be careful because they might be fighting against God himself. Now, in Acts 5 from verse 26 to 33. Let's follow this a little bit further. Acts 5, 26 to 33. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. So, they have found out that they're out of jail. They've gone right back to the temple courts, preaching again. So, they send for the apostles. It says they did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Do you notice what's happened now? They have lost their control over the people. So many Jewish people have left Judaism and joined the way. They've become followers of Christ so many have now joined the way that these Jewish leaders are even afraid of the very people they used to control. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. <coughs> Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And here it goes. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Notice, he doesn't even mention the name, just this name. Yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Again, they're afraid to mention the name of Jesus. They just use these generic pronouns, this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, and again, they're not going to be politically correct here. They're going to be bold. They prayed for boldness, and they've got it. We must obey God rather 
than men. We've already heard that before. They're just repeating it. We're not going to listen to you guys because you're telling us to violate a higher command that we received from our God. We must obey Him rather than you. And here goes Peter again. Boy, he's on fire. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. I can almost imagine somebody nearby whispering in Peter's ear, Peter, be careful. Watch your words. Don't be so bold. Don't keep telling them you killed him and God raised him from the dead. But those were the very words that needed to be said. These are the very words we have found over and over in these short but piercing sermons that Peter gives. You killed Jesus, God raised him from the dead. We must obey God rather than men. God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Notice he touches on the crucifixion, the resurrection, repentance, and forgiveness. And again, he says in verse 32, we are witnesses of these things. These aren't things we just heard about. We're eyewitnesses. We are witnesses of what we're telling you. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Now, let's backtrack a little bit. When the captain of the guard heard that the apostles were somehow out of prison and preaching again, they're sent for, but no force is used because they're afraid. They're afraid of the people now. They're not afraid so much of the apostles. They're afraid of their own people turning on them because their affections their allegiance has so turned from the Jewish elite to the apostles and the followers of Christ. Now, when the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin for questioning, they remind them, we gave you strict orders not to talk anymore in this name. Well, that didn't work very well. And they actually pay the apostles a great compliment here. They say, you have now filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Filled Jerusalem with your teaching. This news has now spread throughout all of Jerusalem. Jesus crucified, Jesus dead and buried, Jesus resurrected and exalted to the right hand of God Almighty, Prince, Savior, and Lord. Repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and all of your sins will be blotted out and forgiven. So that message has now filled Jerusalem, despite their threats and their warnings to stop teaching or preaching in Jesus' name. Well, Peter once again explains, just as he did in chapter 4, why they could not follow the orders of the priests. 
They had a higher command. They had a higher authority. And just to repeat again, we should never advocate disobedience, disrespect, or rebellion for authority. But we must always understand the highest authority. Okay? You can always appeal to the highest authority. So, if a lower authority is telling you to do something that a higher authority has told you not to do, or vice versa, you must obey the higher authority. We have lots of laws in the United States now. They're law. People have voted, senators, congressmen, Supreme Court justices, whoever, they've weighed in on these decisions, and a lot of stuff is now legal. In many states, it's legal to smoke marijuana. In all 50 states, it's now legal for two men or two women to be married. I don't care what the states and what the Supreme Court and what the governors and what the people say. What does the highest authority say? The highest authority still says gay marriage is an abomination. So we must obey the highest authority, not what the Supreme Court in the land has said. The Supreme Court since the 1970s has said, oh, it's fine for a woman to kill her own baby in the name of abortion. Well, I don't care what the Supreme Court says about that. God still says it's murder. It's the shedding of innocent blood. We must obey God rather than men when there is a conflict. So, Peter, very rightfully, understands his submission, respect, and obedience for authority must go all the way up the chain of command to the Father in heaven and his word. We must obey God rather than men. Remember back in chapter 4, they prayed for more boldness. Lord, help us to speak your word with boldness and stretch forth your hand with healings and signs and wonders. God answered that prayer. He gave them great boldness, even in the face of threats, opposition, and yes, death. Now, we saw in Acts 5, verse 33, this is elevated to a whole new level now. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted not to put them in jail. They wanted to put them to death. They're now at the point where they are so frustrated, they're so jealous, and they're so furious, they're ready to kill these apostles. And Peter, having prayed for boldness to speak the word of God, even in the face of threats and opposition, without mincing words and using political correctness, man, in this sermon, he just cuts loose. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. But God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I think I've mentioned several times Anybody who would like to learn how to preach, any would-be preacher or any pastor who's already standing behind a pulpit, would do well to study these sermons that are recorded for us in the book of Acts. They're so short, succinct, piercing, and powerful, they get right to the heart of the issue, which is sin in the heart and what Christ did for sin. He died on the cross, God raised him from the dead, 
now you have a choice to make. You need to repent, and you need to receive forgiveness of sins. In this sermon that I just read, it consists of 65 words. Many of us take more than 65 minutes in our long, long uh, sermons to try to get some point across. Peter did it in just 65 words. He covered the crucifixion, the resurrection, the exaltation. He covered repentance, forgiveness, and he even explained something very important that you don't find so clearly stated anywhere else in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. God doesn't want to give the Holy Spirit to someone who's never going to listen, never going to obey. He gives the Holy Spirit to people who have already demonstrated to God they want to follow Him. They want to listen to Him. They want to obey His Word and His counsel. And, you know, this season, of course, with Christmas rapidly approaching, we often hear sung or quoted that famous verse from Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 about how the son is given, child is born. Uh, his name is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Well, let me help you a little bit. Jesus is the Word of God. What we're celebrating at Christmas time is the eternal Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So, the Word of God is a wonderful counselor. If you need counsel in your life, if you need guidance in your life, I'm not against people going to professional counselors. They have their place. They have their professional training to do what they do. But, you know, as Christians, the best and the first place for us to start, not finish, start, is turn to the Word of God. Crack open that Bible. Start searching the Scriptures. I think you'll be amazed at some wonderful counsel that God begins to reveal and unveil for you in your personal life. Wonderful counsel comes forth from the Word of God. But what good is any counsel, even wonderful counsel, if we're not going to follow it? If we're not going to obey it? So, the Holy Spirit, we're told, is another counselor. So we have Jesus, the Word of God, is our Counselor, wonderful Counselor, and along comes the Holy Spirit, who desires to make our bodies His temple. He wants to take up residence in us, and He's there 24-7, counseling us, guiding us. The Bible says, you'll hear a voice behind your ear saying, this is the way, walk in it. You might also hear a voice saying, don't go that way. Don't say that. Don't do that. Don't go there. And we have to make a choice. Am I going to listen to the Holy Spirit? Am I going to obey Him? Or am I going to do my own thing? God has given the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. And if you have the Holy Spirit, God fully expects you and me to start listening to Him and obeying the things that He tells us. The Holy Spirit will whisper things to you. He doesn't usually shout and holler and yell and scream. He'll whisper to you. The Bible says He's like a gentle umpire. And the umpire is the peace of God. When you get ready to say something, or maybe you've already said it, and you lose your peace, that's the Holy Spirit trying to umpire, trying to say, foul, out of bounds, wrong, you need to repent, 
and get back on track. And when you're contemplating certain decisions, certain choices, let the peace of God, the peace of the dove, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, be the umpire. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in those decisions, rather than just charging headlong like a bull in the china shop, making all your own plans, all your own decisions, and then later on, when you've messed everything up, you come crawling back to God saying, Lord, I need counsel. Well, He gave you counsel, but did you listen to it? Did you follow it? So, maybe this Christmas season, as we're celebrating the wonderful counselor, we might want to also pray, Lord, help me to be submissive to your counsel. Help me to listen to your counsel. Help me to obey wise counsel that you give me through your word and through the Holy Spirit. Now, coming back to Peter's short little sermon of just 65 words, how effective was it? Well, the next verse tells it all. When they heard this, those 65 words of Peter's, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Furious and wanted to put them to death. The word translated furious here, (laughs) it literally means to saw in half. To literally take a saw and cut something asunder. It means to cut to the heart or to exasperate. And it sounds similar to what we read in Acts 2 when Peter preached and they were cut to the heart. But this is a different word. This isn't the same kind of cutting that led many to repent in Acts chapter 2. This is a different cutting. And the results of this cutting are they were furious and wanted to put them to death. So, yes, the religious leaders were cut by Peter's words, but this kind of cutting was not producing repentance. It was not producing brokenness in their hearts that led them to say, as they did in Acts 2, what shall we do? Rather, this cutting was raising a whole different question. What are we going to do with these men? And they already knew what they were going to do with them. They wanted to put them to death. And for the first time, this is elevated now to something new, for the first time in the book of Acts, these religious leaders wanted to kill these apostles and followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we have just a little bit more to cover in Acts 5, but I want to save it for next time because it's so important. And so we'll end with this next time and then probably try to launch right into part 5 of our study. Let's close in prayer tonight as we come to this stopping point in our study. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is our counselor, and you are, O God, are the ultimate authority. And whenever there's any question or controversy, we must obey God rather than men. And Lord, help us to understand that you never expected us to obey authorities who are telling us to go against your word, against your counsel, and against your command. And Lord, here again we have seen that when your spirit moves, when there are miracles, signs, and wonders, people responding to the good news of the gospel, there's joy, and there's excitement, and there's revival, there's always a backlash from the enemy. And Lord, help us to remember that all who live godly 
in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Lord, give us boldness, give us strong faith, even to stand in the face of threats, opposition, and other forms of persecution that may come. Give us great boldness to speak your word, and Lord, continue to stretch forth your hand with mighty signs and wonders and miracles, healing the sick, casting out devils, doing great miracles, supernatural manifestations of your power. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you are a living God in the midst of your people. And Lord, we want to honor you. We want to continue to walk with you. We want to do your perfect will. And God, we know that you are sovereign. Sometimes you send an angel to open the prison doors. Sometimes, as with Stephen or with James, it's the end of life. And God, regardless of the outcome, we know that you are sovereign. And you make all things work together for good, for all those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We surrender to your purpose. We surrender to your plans and your destiny for each and every one of our lives tonight. Bless each one that is partaking in this Bible study tonight. We pray, O oh God, that the Word would work deeply in each and every heart, each and every life. We thank you for this new life this abundant life that you brought us into 